1: We go. Ah,
0: ah,
2: we come from from the do the don't go the don't the snow the 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 don't 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 And thus begins today's episode of the Command Zone Podcast. I'm your host, Shimmy Wong. How is it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. So we got a pretty special episode today. Not Uh, only that, six pages of outline. It's going to be, I mean, we may go through it fast, but there's a lot of work that went into it. So that's that's notable. This
1: idea kind of blew up on us.
2: So this is a special episode in the vein of our classic
1: stats shows from a couple years ago. Uh, We had some members of our team, thank you Manson and Craig, Uh, Spend some time watching commander gameplay videos online to gather some data so we can talk, uh, uh, I guess, tackle some interesting Mm -hmm. questions. So we're going to ask things like, how long is the average game? Like, how many turns? How many times, on average, do players cast their commanders? Mm. How many attacks are you likely to make or launch in any given game? And, And others. But first we got to talk about our sponsors.
2: Yes, let me take this one away. i got some special messaging. CardKingdom.com slash Command Zone. That is our affiliate link. You use that the moment you need to buy any cards. Singles, magic products, sealed products, whatever you want from the magic world, this place has it. And I was recently talking to one of our friends there, Tara, and I was asking her about how things were going, and she relayed to me that things have been very tough. They've just barely opened their their doors to have curbside pickup and stuff. But a lot of people had to be laid off. A lot of people had to, you know, sort of unfortunately be furloughed because of the nature of the world right now i mean they had to shut down for multiple weeks yeah to the point where one of their owners i believe was in the house packing orders himself so that goes to show the dedication that the company has and we know a couple of those had some a little bit of shipping delays and stuff this is of course part of what it means to reopen in this current state of the world so if you guys go to their website they'll always keep you updated but that's why i love cardkingdom.com slash command zone they have you know such an open communication with their audience they're always there to tell us what's going on and you know seeing the dedication of their owner packing cards in their own house to send out to people that is something that shows that it is a company that goes above and beyond and that's why we're proud to have them as sponsors and that's why we want you to use the affiliate link whenever you buy your magic product also uh they did just let us know that they've got
1: the c20 product back in yes. stock so it was sold out for a little while so yeah, if you're still looking it. to pick up c20 stuff dot com slash command zone and while you're there or anywhere in the world at your LGS or at online retailers, you can check out our other sponsor, which is Ultra Pro. They really do make the best stuff to protect all your game pieces. They make the Eclipse sleeves, which we always talk about, the best sleeves on the market. They have things like the Satin Tower, which mm-hmm. are, you know, for my money, the best uh deck boxes to protect all of your cards awesome play mats ultra pro really can be found everywhere and they are the ones that jimmy and i personally trust to to protect our collections
2: yeah and if you guys by the way like make your battlefield look super awesome with ultra pro products send us a picture we want to see what it looks like on your side of the table wherever you are in the world because josh and i haven't been able to get out to play very much so we haven't as been you able can to, imagine yeah we haven't been able to see like the oh cool deck box oh nice play mat. so send it to us on social we'd love to see it And the final way to support all of our
1: content is directly if you go to patreon.com slash command zone. You can contribute to our content and get to do things like interact with Jimmy and I each and every day on our Discord server or watch game nights before anybody else. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, patreon.com slash command zone. And we call out one lucky patron every single episode. And this episode is dedicated to Austin Austin Brayman. Brayman. Austin, you rock.
2: Rock. Oh, one last notice. The Commander Summit 2020, the deadline is approaching June 12th, just two days away, I believe, when this video comes out. If you want your voice to be heard in the Commander world this year on a whole variety of topics, we have a lot of submissions coming in, and you can be one of them if you're part of the Commander community. We have all of the links in our Twitter and Facebook as well. And the deadline's very close, so all the information you need is there. We'd love to hear your voices. We had a blast putting them together last year, and it's going to be just as fun this time. Last year, we had a lot of
1: people after the deadline be like, oh, I I didn't know about it, I didn't get invited. Mm. Um, Some people, last year, we sent out individual invites. This year, we're just opening it up to content creators in the community. So if you hear this, you still have time. A couple days, though, look in the show notes for the link. That's probably the easiest way to find it for details on how to submit. All right, main topic, myths and misconceptions about Commander. Um, You know, we say a lot of things during the show, and it's uh, a lot of times a lot. Yeah, and <laughs> and when we're saying it, I'm not saying we don't believe that it's true, but it got us wondering, kind of like, is it actually true?
2: So, or how true is it?
1: Right. Exactly. So we'll we'll just sort of off the cuff be like, I think people think they play their commander more than they do. Right. And and, and okay, yes, I believe that's true when I say it, but it's not like I've done a scientific study and have a bunch of data to back that up. And so yeah, it got us thinking when we say things like that or what are the things we say that are like that that we could sort of fact check or double check. And so we came up with a list of questions and had our team break down a bunch of Commander gameplay content to get some data back so that we can either back up or refute Mm -hmm. some of the common claims that we've often made on this show. So before we get into it, our sources, the the gameplay videos that we use to sort of gather the data for this stuff are our own Game Nights videos, MTG Mudsta, Commander Clash from uh, MTG Goldfish, Affinity for Commander, which is a YouTube channel, and the Commander Guys. Uh, Obviously, there's a ton of other Commander content out there. We're not saying that these are our favorites or we don't like the other ones. What we're saying is that for the purposes of this study, I'm going to put study in quotation marks there. um, These are the channels that sort of feature the type of games that we needed. So there's some stuff we were looking for. Most of the games on these channels are what we would consider to be in the six to eight power level range, which right. is what we generally talk about on the show. They, so we we steered
2: away from C, uh, competitive EDH channels. I think we're also, that's about the majority of where people land is between sort of that area for deck playing. So this is, we're, again, we're trying to appeal to a larger audience here for this.
1: Yeah, our experiences from our play group and also playing at live events and stuff is generally people are in the six to eight range. So mm-hmm. we wanted that to be true. Um, we tried to av- avoid gathering data from what we I would call abnormal games. Right. So that's games that are sort of have off-the-wall themes. Uh, maybe games that were all pre-con decks or games where they said, you know what? Any Planeswalker can be legal as commander for this game or we're using silver-bordered <laughs> cards or whatever. Right. Fun we, themes. Yeah, if we found a game like that on one of these channels, we just skipped it and we didn't use it for the data because we
2: wanted the data to be indicative of sort of your average game of commander. That's great. Uh, all the games that were tested, by the way, 109 of them, let's not kid around, right? That's a lot of games tallied. Uh, uh, that was for some of the data points. For some, it's a slightly less, but yeah, keep, keep going. I, I wanna, <laughs> I'll throw the big number out there. You know? uh, we're four-player games, so... Yeah, we didn't do
1: any five, any three. It's only four-player games, again, because the data is just going to get all over the place, mm-hmm. and your sample size is going to not be worth a lot. So we just stuck to four-player games. Yeah. Um. And, and I'll admit, our sample size is... A little bit small for most of this stuff it's just under 50 games so we're not talking uh we won't be referencing the data as if it's an absolute truth or if we do we don't mean to yeah it's more of like a a clue it's a an arrow pointing in a direction yeah potentially exactly it can back up your assumptions or refute them and cause us to rethink things um for our stats episodes, if you remember, this was while you were in New Zealand, Jimmy, shooting Mulan. Right. Winning this, colors, all those things. Yeah, we had a we had over 300 games of data for that, and we're planning to revisit that in-depth stats stuff. This is kind of our, dip our toe back in the water, mm-hmm. um, and we are going to use the data we collected here for that s- study as well. So we're going to have a much bigger sample size when we do that in the future, but this is answering some s- slightly different questions than that one is. So... Just a small disclaimer that, yes, this is a smaller sample size, and we're not trying to say this is an absolute truth when we point to stuff. It's just indicators that we can kind of look to. So let's start with the first topic, which is, or the first question
2: which is average game length yeah and also we encourage you if you're at home to be guessing and listening along and saying what you think out loud when you're listening because there are some parts of this document that are blacked out to me yeah jimmy, i don't know the percentages of we, we purposely didn't tell jimmy the outcome
1: when we crunched the numbers, so that at least one of us here would be able to kind of guess at it so we often talk about how everyone thinks that Commander games sort of go longer than they actually do. And this is something we noticed from doing game nights because, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of forced us to take detailed notes and we knew the game length of all the game nights. And we kind of noticed a pattern, which was, I think people out there in the wild tend to think commander games are like, on average, like 15, 16, 17 turns long, when from game nights experience, it tends to be lower than that.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, what do you guesstimate usually? You usually say
1: around, around 12. 12, yeah. Yeah, is my
2: general what I've thrown out there on the podcast many times, right? I guess I kind of land around that area with, like, a, it could end earlier, but if it hasn't ended at that point, it's going to peter out by then.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you had to guess, Jimmy, what would you say is the turn on which the average Commander
2: game ends? The average Commander game ends based on just all my years of playing Commander, I'm going to say 10 or 11, maybe. Okay. Just because I think nine's a little too early for the 6 to 8 power level, mm-hmm. and, yeah. I'm going to say around, maybe maybe turn... Maybe turn 11. I like that number, 11. So turn 11 is Jimmy's guess. So
1: again, for for the turn um, data, we, we were able to tally more games because okay. it's a lot easier on a lot of content. You can you just click just to the, end, the end, end of the game and they're keeping track of turns. One of the reasons we actually chose some of the content creators we did is because they are keeping track of turns and it was very easy for us to gather this specific ah. data point. So we, yeah, our, uh, 109 games tallied here and the average game ends on... Quick, out there everybody can guess before i give the answer turn 10.29 oh so it's closer to 10 it's closer to 10 than 11 but it is in between 10 and 11 so
2: your average game is slightly and slightly before turn 11 okay and of course this is the statistical average so you have to take a little bit of that into consideration because you could have things weigh it more like you could have a bunch of eight turn games and not as many nines but that will weigh it down towards the 10 more than you know there's there's some intricacy there
1: yeah, so the interesting thing here is we actually broke it down by turns. So eight turn games were 14% of the sample. 14, man, those are fast. Nine turn games were 21% of the sample. So about one in five games was a nine turn game, and that is statistically the most likely length of a game that you're going to play. Hmm. Turn 10 was about 11%, 11 Turn 11 was about 14%, and then turn 12 was about 10%. Nice so, game. between turns 8 and 12, that, that, that grouping, that's about 70% of all the games in our sample. So, you're very likely that a game's going to end between turn 8 and per- turn 12. Obviously, there were some outliers. The right. longest game we had in the whole sample was 19 turns, and that was one game. Jeez. Uh, there was one 18-turn game. Everything else was under that. We had no games in the entire sample that were 5 turns or below. Also, which shows you that we didn't use CEDH games. Right. And then we had about four games that were six turns and five games that were seven turns. I think that's why nine-turn games are the most common but the average actually skews a little bit higher at 10.29 because there are more games in the 13, 14, 15 range than there are in, there's no games that are four below, right? Right, right. It's
2: easier to have a game end on turn 13 plus than it is for five and below. Right, exactly. And the outliers in general, you do want to keep a note of them, but sometimes, you know, it's a game of commander. Sometimes you can get into a situation where two people just have a pure stalemate and they're the only two players left in the game. So that may, like, you could argue, right, the game may be ended, ended, for everyone else like five or six turns ago but for the outliers ones it's always good to just keep in mind that we don't really know unless you're going in there like you don't know sometimes just wonky circumstance can make those happen
1: but i i mean representative of that is that it's one game in the sample and there's Mm -hmm. no games that went 20 turns or more in the whole sample that's because there's an unwritten rule that you just concede (laughs) you scoop we're about to hit turn 20 who's ahead yeah we're out of here so the questions to ask here is what does this mean and and sort of how should this affect a couple of different aspects? One is deck building.
2: Yes, absolutely. So
1: if you know games are going 10.29, which for both of us seems like it was even a little faster than we thought. Mm-hmm. For me, I would I used to say 12. You I said 11. 11 here. Yeah. It's it's and I think for a lot of people out there 10.29 is well under what they would have guessed. Obviously, it's going to vary from play group to play group mm-hmm. and whatnot, but I think games are just generally Less turns than you think because turns near the end of the game tend to take longer. Right, more and so it on the feels board. yeah, it can feel like two rotations happened when actually only one rotation happened just because the amount of time
2: it took. Dude, there's sometimes where after a combat step, the other person starts taking their turn yeah, because and that, like, that took so long to just get through <laughs> it must combat. Be my turn now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so anyway, how, how should this info affect our deck building specifically?
2: Well, this is the same thing we had when the Mulligan rule changed, and we realized that you couldn't get as greedy with the par- partial Paris. Uh, mm-hmm. In general, you don't want to get you know on the bad side of it which is like if you're if you're you're not able to play a bunch of spells by the end of the game and you just have way too high costed stuff you're probably not in a great position because you don't have the time to develop out and have the freedom to be like turn 14 now i can do so much well the game's probably over at that point so what are you holding on the cards in your hand at that point probably not great yeah i think it's a curve consideration thing like if there are more turns in the
1: lower end like more you're going to spend more time playing you know turns one through eight than you are going to spend times playing, you know, turns 9 through 13, Oh, I see, right. Then that means that you just generally want not as many high-casting-cost spells because if games were going on average 16 turns, then all of a sudden you're spending a lot of time every game in the higher end of the spectrum where you have a lot more mana available. And so having 7-plus CMC spells, you're going to be able to cast those spells. But what I think we're seeing is if the games are going to be, you know under 11 turns on average then you're just not gonna have as many chances to deploy really expensive spells and you probably want to have less of them in your deck
2: i mean think about it this way if a game is on average ending at 10 let's just say 10 and by turn three you just pass the turn that's 30 percent of your game where you haven't done anything And those are games typically when they happen to you, you just don't draw the right ramp or maybe your curve's too high, you do really feel behind, especially because it seems like everyone just kind of has, right, two mana rocks with the arcane signets and all the signets out now. Definitely encourage players to build towards the two end as opposed to the five mana ramp side. I really like that as a way to think about it, right? You have less time to catch up if
1: you fall behind early. So you really want to make sure your deck can do things early in the game because you're going to have less time later in the game because there is less late game than we think. Yeah. If again if the games were going to 15 turns on average, then if you don't do anything on turn, you know, 1 2 and 3, you have a lot more time to catch up. But if the games are going 10 turns, you know, that yeah, just, that's a huge chunk of your game. That's like if you were running a race and you're like I have more stamina than the other person. They get off to a big lead and you're thinking I saw four laps of the track to catch them. Well, if you suddenly go there's one lap track, there's one lap left, not four, It's like, oh crap, I don't have as much
2: time as I thought for my endurance to kind of play out here. And those players and the people running around also are getting faster and faster because they are ramping out. So it's almost like the kind of thing where you don't, so I Like, sometimes we talk about, yeah, sandbag a little bit, hold stuff back, but if you don't establish yourself on the board at all, you're the kind of player that's going to get pecked away at and you're going to die really fast, or you're just not going to be able to catch up with the extra speed that everyone else added to their game before you even started that engine. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, and the other question I think to ask, and and we're going to ask these two questions with uh, all this stuff, mm-hmm. which is, okay, now we have this info. Not only how do we deck build, but now how should knowing this affect how we play, what our in-game decisions are? Interesting. So I think one of the things is if you, you know, knowing this, you have to start sort of being ready sometime around probably like turn seven to either start knocking people out or stopping other people from knocking you out knocking or winning the game out,
2: yeah. yeah and cdh by comparison this happens as early as turn zero turn one right yeah. so like that's how fast CEDH is but that is a huge part of the game that makes it really interesting to them which is how do you stop this person from winning or how do i execute my win condition in regular commander games that aren't competitive i guess th- we're seeing this is much more of a consideration at around eight yeah i'd
1: say seven eight probably don't want to just tap out and play something and leave yourself vulnerable because mm-hmm. if you're not the player that's going to be trying to end the game, then somebody in the pod probably is because we see you know many games ending around turn eight, nine, 10, mm-hmm. and they're going to start making their move in there. And so you have to be ready for it. And so I think keeping track of what turn we're on will help you sort of know when somebody's going to put their foot on that gas pedal and you can be ready for it with your removal spell. So maybe you choose, okay, I'm going to play a five drop and leave these three mana open so I can stop somebody because this is about the time in the game where somebody's going to try and make that
2: big move. Yeah. And you're able to, unless you need to protect something earlier on, you can be a little more safe doing things on turns three through six. But the closer you edge towards the end of the game, I think the more people are also just collectively going to have their eyes on like who's going to win and how now.
1: I was thinking of this sort of as the uh, when you're in a game, you maybe use those early turns to kind of get the lay of the land and try and figure out which player is the player that's going to push and make that move first. Right. And you also need to figure out is that me? Yeah, am I supposed to be the player in this game that somewhere around turn seven or eight tries to start closing it out? Because somebody's going to be that player. And if I'm not that player, if I determine, okay, that's not how the game's played out for me and what my hand looks like and what my deck's doing, then I need to maybe switch gears into the, okay, well, somebody's going to be that player and I need to be able to stop them. And I need to play in such a way that I leave my options open to stop a big move because it's, I know around the range that it's going to happen
2: and it's around turn eight i mean this is also a great political thing too which is like i've seen this deck go off i know that they're ramping and they're going to be able to expropriate around seven which usually is going to turn into a win by nine so let's get wary of that let's know what's happening and if you're that player you try to disguise that fact yeah, it's either like, on your toes, everybody, or,
1: oh, nothing's going on here, don't yeah. be on your
2: toes, don't worry about it. It's kind of like the beatdown slash who's the, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, in, in regular limited magic. You got to know who's pushing the thing forward, the cart forward. Because if everyone just sits and waits for someone to do it, then you're not, that's not really playing magic either. <laughs> All right, uh, so that's going to cover the
1: average turn late discussion. We're going to move on to the next point here, which is related. So we are just talking about uh, mana curve and specifically big mana spells, seven CMC plus spells. So we're going to talk about big, splashy spells because Commander... It was originally kind of pitched to me as the format where big the big, big spells. spells could actually be cast. And I think you and I have both felt as the years have gone on, you know, we've been doing this for what, six years almost now. It's been going down that number. Yeah. You you just, it's not like Insurrection used to be like almost a staple. It's an eight mana spell and I really don't play it at all anymore because it's too expensive. Yeah. Game, you just, you know, games just
2: don't go as long as they used to and you just can't play that many eight drops. That's how we feel, right? yeah and if you're playing something like an expropriate you want to be ramping out to it to get it out earlier or you but Expropriate's
1: so powerful you need all your big mana spells to be that powerful right. otherwise like you you can't just play like a diluvian primordial maybe because it's like yeah it's a good card but that's is it gonna a lot close of out the game nah, yeah. yeah right right but this is the rhetoric we've been throwing out there with no real data so now we're going to try and get some data here and the question we asked was how many big spells does a player cast on average in a game i want to make two notes here uh these data points are a little bit harder to gather, so we have a smaller sample size of games. Again, just under fifty. But remember, there are four players in each game, so we're still getting the data from about two hundred different 200 players. Two hundred people, yeah, yeah. Uh, note number two is we only counted for for this quote unquote study. We only counted it if a player actually cast the spell and paid the mana for it. Tap lands. So, yeah, or it could be it could be lands, mana dorks, whatever, yeah. whatever. But if it was cheated out, then we didn't entered into the data set. So, because that didn't tell us much, right? Like, obviously, if you're playing Joda or Braids or something, you want to have more high CMC stuff than normal. Or any reanimator stuff. Yeah, if you've got synergy that allows you to cheat mana cost, then it's a totally different conversation. What we're talking about is seven CMC or more or higher spells. How many of them should you have in your average deck? How many are Mm -hmm. you likely to play? So here we go. Average number of seven plus CMC spells cast per game total by the entire table this blew my mind by the way
2: yeah i would have but okay. what would you think what would you would think average it okay it's 10 10 play, 10 turn average on general in general that means everyone's gonna have at least seven mana i'm gonna say six or more seven plus cmc spells so you know about Each one player, and a half. Per one, yeah 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 somebody's gonna cast two a couple are gonna cast two and a couple are gonna
1: cast one what we see is much lower than that 2.38 oh. 7 cmc or more spells per game by the table
2: that's 0.6 per player so not even that's that's insane so you cast a 7
1: cmc or larger spell on average hard cast you know yeah not cheat out or whatever on average about a little more than every other game yeah a little over half yeah that to me is very surprising Yeah, that's crazy. Another crazy stat here is in 19% of the games in the study, almost one in five games, there was not a single 7-plus CMC spell cast by any player. Wow. Wow. So seven
2: mana or more is kind of this threshold where as soon as you cross it... It just gets very hard to do that and stay, you know, alive or, like, hold open mana to do stuff. I feel like six is the sweet spot for the top end now. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, and and we don't know,
1: obviously, from any of these content, what's in people's hands. Right. But we can imagine that, you know, they have seven CMC spells sometimes and can't cast them or don't feel comfortable casting them because of the way that the game has progressed. And just tapping out and using all your mana for this one thing doesn't feel like the right thing to do. Um, Quickly, some outliers. So the most seven plus CMC spells we saw cast by a single player in a game was four. Was that Craig? One Just game, no one four times. <laughs> 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 I don't, I don't, I don't know the specifics. Uh, that was one player in one of the games cast, uh, hard cast four seven plus CMC spells, and then there were two players
2: um that did it three that cast three of those spells in different games okay um so let's ask the two questions we're gonna ask here after yeah. every step which is what does this mean and how does this affect and how should this affect your deck building well same point as we had just last time the big spell is if you're not going to be able to play that many or they're just not tenable it seems now shouldn't put as many in your deck yeah i think your seven plus cmc you know most deck building apps
1: they'll show you your curve right and you're, they'll have this graph, and there'll be a bunch in the one, and the two, and the three will usually be huge, and then it'll taper down four, five, six, and then at seven, and everything after
2: that, you don't want very many. I mean, it might be, like, three or four in your whole deck. Yeah, and you want to have ways of cheating it out. And, like, for instance, Cyclonic like Rift, you could say, is a 7-CMC spell, but it has another option on it. so It's a big difference being able to still cast it for
1: two, right? Because right. Because that's actually more likely to happen I think than we think mm-hmm. yeah whereas
2: seven plus you don't want to draw two of them because you're almost never going to cast two of them in that's the same game 16 mana or whatever right? yeah to cast well another thing interesting too is that like we clearly we have gotten a little harsher and we have to be a little more strict in how we grade these spells mm, good point because we have to if you're gonna only play one of them it can't just be like a single use like well this is really good in this scenario but not many others I feel like these are cards that just generically have to be so powerful that they're going to affect the board at the proper a 7 cmc level you know they have to be worth it they
1: have to yeah, be worth good it. Yeah, it's like I was talking about Diluvian Primordial uh, earlier which is a very strong spell cast instants and sorceries out of your opponent's graveyard yeah totally but I don't put it in very many decks because it costs so much mana and I don't know what it's going to do when I play it and if I'm going to stick my neck out Mm. and cast my 1-7 CMC spell that I'm going to probably cast in the entire game. (laughs) I want it to be Minds Dilation, you know? I want it to have a huge effect on the game and get me a ton of value guaranteed, whereas Deluvian Primordial might get me like a removal spell and a Cultivate. Or a Brainstormer, yeah. Just yeah. like
2: small stuff, right? And like, yeah, it's, oh, cool, you ramped up, played your sweet seven-drop to in Primordial, and no one's cast anything, so or you Or it's like use. a board wipe that I don't want. Or yeah, yeah, you know? totally. Yeah, and a, and a counterspell that I can't use, yeah. I mean, in general, we always have this, I think, ongoing mentality here at the Command Zone, which is like, if there's an uncertainty about it, generally trend away from it, because there's so many players, so many deck types, and so many cards in Magic's history that the uncertainty, the, the, the danger of it, I feel like just multiplies in value in, in games like this, so... Um, I think also, if you're going to play a
1: deck that is an exception to this rule, like we said, Joda, Braids, those decks that are going to cheat things. Oh, decks, yeah. Yeah, they're going to get around the mana cost and not hard cast the big stuff. I think this tells you to make sure that you have reinforcements backups redundancy for the cheating part of it make sure that you have other ways to cheat things into play because you don't want to be in a situation where like your joda gets killed mm. and now you're hard casting your seven cc spells which we know is very hard to do you yeah. need something else out there that allows you to you know quicksilver amulet or something that just allows you to still play cards because if you're just relying on you know
2: ramping and hard casting stuff it's just not likely to happen yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I, I could have swore this number would have been so much higher. And, yeah. But, you know, looking back at decks that we've built recently, and I think you can see this, the 7, 8, 9 to 11 slot, you just see one or two just a little peppered in there. Yeah, you just can't afford to run, you know, eight of those cards in your deck because you're just going to be glutted with them. <laughs> you know, and I've done that so many times, even if it's just too many six drops, even yeah, too many five drops. Having two five drops in your hand, you need ten mana to get those out. That's the end of the game if you're not playing ramp like that. That definitely affects a lot of how I feel. If I look at this now.
1: Yeah, and, and I, I like what you said there, because I think one of the things you generally want to get to the point in in any game of Commander is doing two things in a turn. Mm-hmm. And so it's very hard to do seven CMC worth of something and something else. And so often we know, and this might be related to game length, right? If you know the game, once you have seven mana, the game's getting close to the end, because right. you must be on turn six, seven, eight, Right. So can, you can't afford to just play a seven drop because that might give the window to the player that's now trying to win because you're around that time. Mm. So what you often want to do is be like, I want to advance my board with something like a four drop, but hold my three or four mana open with an answer to stop people from winning. Because like we said, one of the things you can learn from the earlier question, the average game length, is when
2: to get ready to stop people from knocking everybody out. Yeah, and again, this is why Force of Will, Pact Negation is so good is that you can have a little more freedom to play yep. the big CMC spells and hold up something at the other end of it.
1: All right. The other question is, so we know that, you know, seven CMC spells are pretty rare and you're not going to
2: hard cast a lot of them. How should this info affect your in-game decision making? Well, I guess at this point, let's say everyone's listened to this episode. Everyone's now watching in an agreement, right? My CMC spells, big ones need to be super impactful. Well, if they're permanents or creatures, probably going to need to remove them quickly. Otherwise, they will take over the game. Yeah, because you know the high CMC
1: stuff, other people are gonna play. It must be really good if they're putting it in there. I mean, do you so think Paradox Engine could have been fine as a seven drop? Probably. I mean, think of uh, our preview card for M twenty one, right? Chromatic Orrery, and the, our biggest complaint about it was well, it's seven man. I like, yeah. you know, it's just gonna sit there for so long, and then once once I get to seven, the stuff I'm doing was when I when I use seven man to do something, I has to do more than that.
2: Yeah, yeah. Or on turn seven, however you yeah. want to phrase it, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so definitely, the you're gonna see really high power stuff at that level. Um, And I think just having good threat assessment is really important here and knowing which ones you need to remove or at least inform the table. Like if it's Zendikar Resurgent and it's a creature-based deck, you gotta get rid of that. Yep, yep, absolutely. All right,
1: we are going to go on. We've got other questions. We're gonna talk about how often players cast their commanders mm. per game. That's a really interesting one. How many uh, combat steps and attacks players generally get in uh, per game? We're going to talk about board wipe frequency. A bunch of cool, interesting questions coming up, but we're going to take a quick break and hear a message from our sponsors.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find
3: All right, we are
2: back talking about commander myths and misconceptions and the things that we think we know for sure, but we'll get proven wrong on this episode, as I have now been a few times, (laughs) and I'm sure it will continue, because this one, I know I'm going to get the answer wrong.
1: (laughs) So this is commander frequency. We believe a lot of players build their decks thinking they're going to cast their commander very often every game, like three plus times. Cool, Briar! Yeah, and we've (laughs) often come on and said that we don't think that's true, but... You know, until now, it was just a feeling we had. We've tried to get some data to see if this is true or not. So on average, how often do people actually cast their commander in a single game? Note, we're only counting... Uh, times where people cast their commander from their command zone for this data so if it gets bounced back to your hand and you cast it that doesn't count if you reanimate from your graveyard or something that doesn't count just how many times do you pay commander tax or we also count the
2: first time you cast it so right uh, well the important question though is does the commander tax severely limit the number of times you cast your commander or is it okay that it goes two four six because there's often a feeling i think that it's no big deal if my commander dies because i'll just recast it and Mm -hmm. you and you have that Idea in
1: your head when you're building your deck and you just kind of it's a given you're gonna have access to your commander If you need to you can recast it right. They can't really and so how many times do people actually play their commander in any
2: given game? I would say three plus you think the average is three plus? That would be my guess before I started this episode. Now I know it's probably lower.
1: <laughs> that's the way it's trending. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So, you well, you're correct as far as that it will be lower than your guess. <laughs> uh the average number of times a player casts their commander per game is one point four. Not that low that I was expecting. It's wow. half what you thought. Yeah. Jeez. So that's less than that's less than you will pl- like. How do how do I put this? Okay. In two games, right, on average you will not cast your commander three times. It'll, It'll be, be slightly, slightly below
2: than that. And that. again, smaller, limited pool size, but this does, I mean, right? It would if if this smaller pool size was super inaccurate, it might say one point four. But it appears that this is a pretty accurate size. Like maybe we analyze another hundred games is one point. Five. five yeah it's yeah. not gonna double or something right <laughs> yeah yeah to three yeah exactly yeah, so exactly. That, that that's the important thing for me here is like holy moly you're you're casting your commander once and if it dies you're just saying it's not worth it a lot of times a lot of times yeah now i know a lot of people out there are going
1: okay but not all commanders are created equal mm-hmm. it totally should be different depending on what the cmc of the commander is true right or sorry of the commander is right and that's kind of true Um, so what we did is we broke down these numbers a little further to see the average number of times a player casts their commander per game, considering the CMC. Right. So here we go. If your commander is between three and four mana CMC, then you're going to cast it on average 1.47 times per game. So only slightly above the average. All right. Makes sense. If it's five or six, so a little bit bigger, a little more expensive you're going to cast your commander about 1.3 times per game. Ah, uh, so less than See? the average. A little drop, but they're similar, right? right? That's not a huge difference. If your commander is 7 CMC+, plus, you're going to cast it an average of 0.77 times
2: per game. You will not wow. average even casting your commander every game. You might not ever have the op- the opportunity in the window based on what we were just talking about, right? Yep. Your Sam CMC spell is your massive commander... Good job. Unless it's like Maelstrom Wanderer, you're not going to get that much off it immediately. Someone else just ends the game. So maybe you have to be like, can't cast McPain or got it. the answer.
1: It's just a danger of building a deck with a high CMC's commander right. is that you may not cast it. Now, two CMC, we saved it for last because I think most people would think you're going to play two CMC a lot more because the difference, you know, two, then four, then six, that's like no, that's doable, bad. right? Yeah. Two
2: CMC commanders are cast an average of 1.86 times per game. So none of them even made it across the 2x threshold. And yep. I, I'm here guessing that we're casting our commanders three times a game.
1: Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I would have thought it would be above two.
2: I, th- I, would, yeah, th- so I would have thought on average you're casting your commander a second time time. Right, because the first time you pay two mana on top, not so bad. But if you look at these CMCs, if it's a four CMC commander, it costs six, and then it costs eight. Yeah, you're never casting you're it the never third time. You're never doing it yeah. for the third time. Yeah, that and, is the game is ending at that point. And right? some games you're not doing it the second time, and that's why
1: it's trending below two. Right. Two CMC is really interesting, and we thought about it for a while. I think it could be that two CMC commanders maybe don't get killed as often, so you don't have as much chance to replay them, right? Because a two CMC right. commanders often outclass later in the game, so it's just not worth it for your opponents to get rid of. Because you don't see a lot of 2CMC Commanders that have like crazy synergistic abilities. There's a few, but it's Kinnan, Bonder. <laughs> they yeah. just made him. But, 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 but a lot of them are not like, by turn 8, you're looking at their 2CMC Commander going, whatever, there's bigger fish to fry. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, and, and also, the third time you cast your 2CMC Commander... It's six mana. That It should be a six mana power level card, a right? A two drop? I see. You're like, I'm not
2: casting that for six. I'm going to play a six drop out of my hand, yeah. right? A lot yeah. of times. Unless it's crucial for making your dead work, deck work. But at that point, like you said, there aren't that many commanders that have that amount of crazy synergy. Yeah, Typically, maybe like Kapachar or something. Okay, I need right. the, the negative one counter Or synergy, Skullbriar. But, my yeah. deck's based around that's Voltron. At this point... I think the 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 thing that we've seen is, like, the ones that have those abilities tacked onto it that are just that powerful, the lowest they'll go is, like, four CMC with that. Yep. Urza is the best example. And then you look at the Chulanes. Like, that's sort of where I think... And, uh, geez, I'm not casting Chulane twice. I've had to do R2, that before. Yeah. It sucks. <laughs> you're like, all this value I have to wait to get to.
1: Uh, one thing we found that was interesting for the seven-plus CMC commanders, if you're playing one... Uh, in our sample, mm-hmm. about one-third of the games, 33% of the time, they were cast zero times. Right, because it's .77
2: is the average.
1: Yeah. So, <laughs> in one-third of your games, if you have a 7-CMC or more commander, you will not cast it.
2: That's a bummer. You're kind of building your deck around your commander,
1: aren't you? You sh- probably, in 7-CMC, uh, if your commander 7-CMC or more, you probably should... Build around it less than you would in most decks. I mean, there's obviously exceptions. I think you mentioned Maelstrom Wanderer earlier. Yeah. And one I remember one of the games in our sample did have a Maelstrom Wanderer deck, and it's one of the ones that brings up the average. I think it was cast three times in that game. Well, there you go. Interesting. Yeah, because those decks are often built with just pure mana ramp into mm-hmm. Maelstrom. And, Get it out, have
2: the effect repeat itself as many times as possible.
1: Yeah, but, but still, that's pretty interesting. All right, let's go on to the two questions
2: we've been asking. So the first one is, what does this mean? How should this info affect deck building? I mean, at the very least, just don't rely on always recasting your commander in games, right? Don't build your deck so that you don't have anything else to do in your hand but recast your commander. In fact, I would say the number one, like, vibe that you get when someone's like, this is the third time I'm I'm thinking back to this game where Kenji casts Numot, like, three times. (laughs) is you just see this just sorrowful look of this is all I can do at this point, so I got to do this. I don't think you ever want to be in that position. You're not winning that game, right? Yeah, you're, you're just not feeling not good. You're not fe- your hand <laughs> sucks, that sucks. Like, oh, no.
1: I'm paying nine mana for something that should cost five. Yeah. It's just not <laughs> it's good. It's not doing
2: anything. It can't even swing.
1: I, I think you don't want to make deck building choices that assume you're going to be casting your commander multiple right. times, too. So I think a lot of people look at their commanders kind of enter the battlefield effect, and they go, I'm going to get that effect over and over because I'm going to just keep casting it out of the command zone. You're not going to do that. Now, so, if you're blinking it... If there you go. Yeah, yeah, if you're doing other things, that's fine. But as far as like just hard casting it out of the command zone, you're just not
2: going to do that. Yeah. You're probably not even going to do it twice. I think it also means that you should be more protective of how you're doing it and timing it right. Because it doesn't mean you have to cast this on curve. It just means that you want to cast it for the best rate possible. And having to redo it because you maybe played your commander to turn too early can be really feel bad.
1: Uh, I think like
2: the Fury cycle... The one we like here
1: is Fury Storm. Or sorry, it's the Storm Cycle, not the Fury Cycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, The Fury Storm is the two red red, and it copies, it forks something, but it forks it for how many times you've cast your commander out of the command zone. The only one we like out of that whole cycle, there was Echo, Imperial, Genesis, and Skull. Mm -hmm. Skull, Storm costs nine mana, (laughs) and it cares about how many times you've cast your commander uh, from the command zone. All those are bad, and you basically never see them except Fury Storm, which is the one that you say... Four mana, if I copy something twice, I'm fine with it. Yeah,
2: because it's just added its base value. Yes. Right? Instead of a nine mana spell where it's like, geez. I mean, at that point, had you to get the full value, you've cast your cast mana th- commander three times. That is a nine mana spell on top of another nine mana spell. Ooh. Yeah, unlike you've done that. There's that uh, card commander's insignia, which like
1: it's an anthem effect for your whole team. Right. But it scales, so they get plus one, plus one, for how many times you've cast your commander. Mm-hmm. Like that's just not worth it because you're not likely to have cast your commander as many times as you think.
2: You're In fact, you're likely to have casted only one. Yeah, this also means that you can disrupt your opponents a lot more by taking out their commanders, playing more board wipes, spot removal, counter spell, that type of stuff is going to, it actually has a much bigger impact than we may have surmised originally. Yeah, and that, that
1: leads into our next question, which is how should this affect your in-game decision-making? I think you've made two good points about that. One is be careful about when you play your commander and when yeah. you time it. If it's super important to your deck, you probably want to have protection ready for it or play it in a moment where you don't think they're going to instantly remove it. Or you can do another spell on top and at least get some value out of it. Yeah, because if if you got to consider what happens if somebody untaps and immediately removes this thing. Right. Do I want to pay? Yeah, I think we feel like... In our mind, I'll just run my commander out there because I can get it back later, but mm. you're not probably going to want to pay that a lot of times, so you got to be careful about that. And then on the flip side is what you just said, which is removing somebody's commander, it feels bad, right? Because yeah, I'm going to kill this
2: thing and they, are, they still have it, kind of. And they have a 0.4% chance of doing it again, or like 0. 0.4, 1.4, right? Like they've cast it once, the chance they do it again, its that's way lower than the first time they cast it. So
1: it actually is better than it feels like to get rid of their commander. Oftentimes they're not going to cast it again in that game. But I think sometimes we're hesitant to use our removal spell on their commander because it just feels like they can just get it back. But the reality of the situation is it's actually not that efficient for them to do that, and they won't want to do that
2: most of the time. You're kind of
1: time-walking them, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's really fascinating.
1: Yeah, so be maybe more willing to use your removal on their commander. And I, I, from experience, that is the way you handle a lot of very strong decks, the Chulain decks, the Yaruk decks, yeah. the Selvala decks. If you can immediately kill that thing, a lot of times the deck is severely nerfed because it sets them back so far. Right. Right. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. Right. 1.4. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, when, I, when we
2: saw that number, all of us here at the office were like, what? Yeah. I thought
1: it would be over 2. I thought it would be like 2.2, 2.3. 2. I'd be interested
2: also to see if you are able to scan a lot of partner commander games, because then yeah. these fury cycles get a little bit better, right? If you cast both of them once, then you get a 2 count on the times you cast your commander from the command zone.
1: And and with all this stuff, I think, you know, the specifics of the deck will have to be taken into account, because, right. of course, 7CMC plus spells are very good in certain decks. Like we said, joda Braids, things like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. But this we're talking about the average deck. Like, most decks are not that, those decks. So there's certainly some decks where, yes, you're going to cast. Your commander, a lot of times by design, that's how the commander is sort of designed to play. Right. But on your average deck, most commanders, you're just not going to cast it as many times as you think.
2: Okay, all right, let's move on to the next topic. Your favorite combat and attacks. At this point, I'm assuming people attack zero times per game. <laughs> that's
1: just going to be my. <laughs> I think we've kind of talked about, or at least spoken about, combat as if. It
2: doesn't it's, exist <laughs> it's more rare than people think like yeah it happens less than people think i still hold by that 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 seems to be the case early turns yes later turns on it just just kind of goes away unless it's like one big swing to end the game
1: so how prep these are our thoughts from before right so right. now we're, we're actually asking the questions from the data how prevalent is combat how likely is it that you'll actually get to sim- swing with your creatures um So this one, I'm going to warn you, we may have to question our assumptions a little here. Okay. Okay, so something to note, we counted any attack as a single attack. So it didn't matter if a player swung uh, with one creature or 50 creatures or swung at one player or multiple players. Mm -hmm. That was counted as an attack. Now, if they got an extra combat step, that counted as another attack. Gotcha. But the number of creatures or how much you're hitting for... That didn't matter. That didn't matter. So the average number of attacks launched by any given player in a game is... 2.86 2.86 so almost three times
2: yeah. they turn creatures sideways yeah almost three per game you know but that, under three that feels right to me because not many people are building aggressive decks mm-hmm. so they're not attacking that much all a lot of the times the best times to attack are the early turns and people are ramping out or playing land of war elves and those things certainly aren't swinging in and very rarely do you see like you know just a little chip damage coming in from a little one one or whatever so that feels a about right but also like not every deck is built to attack right yeah and i think that's the thing when i saw the 2.86 i
1: had the same reaction as you which is like okay yeah we've kind of been right about that yeah good job us yeah but then we (laughs) kind of started thinking about it some more and and we said well it's not really fair that number it doesn't feel fair because some decks literally are never going to attack you and they aren't built to attack you like mizzix decks or all kinds of decks that are spell-based that's going to pull the average down a lot yeah exactly and so they just have zero attacks and they don't they never wanted to attack so the question we then want to ask is okay well what are the average number of attacks launched by a combat player in a game ah. and we de- we we uh, define combat player as the player in the pod
2: in any given game who attacked the most times okay so they're the ones I'm the Craig Blanchett dog biting on this is my deck's purpose I'm going to swing more
1: right and in most games there was a singular player who was attack who attacked a lot more than the other players okay and that average so average number of attacks launched by the combat player
2: was 5.25 attacks per game. Okay, so that's actually attacking at least if a game. Again, yep. we're assuming games end at turn 10. Ish, yeah. That's You're attacking 50% of the time. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. That's way higher than I would think.
1: Yeah. You know, again, I would have thought this would be like 3.5, a, a little bit higher than the average player. Mm-hmm. This is a close to double what the average player is attacking. So a com- if a deck is built for combat, it's actually pretty successful at pulling off some combat, Mm -hmm. um, which is nice. And I liked hearing that, even though I think for myself, it was kind of... Um, I'm going to have to speak about it in the future a little bit
2: differently, I think, knowing this now. Well, it's really interesting to think about because maybe it means that the general trend of Commander, and I think it's gone this way, is like build a value engine, you know, durable on your own side, do things like that. We've talked about it a little bit here. Maybe it has actually opened up a little bit of space for the combat players to be a little more successful than they mm-hmm. normally would, too. Because that's sort of the thing that I've always been like. If you're swinging out all the time, you're not doing the thing that I think gets you closer to a win unless you're all about attacking. Yeah. Let's talk about some outliers. There were um, nine attacks
1: in a game (laughs) twice. There were eight attacks in a game four times. Okay. Eight attacks in a game. That's a lot. I mean, those might have been the games where it went 15 turns. I don't know. Yeah. But still, there were no games, not a single game in the entire sample, where at least one player didn't attack less than three times. I see. Now, one thing we have to say, there's caveats and things, and I kind of wish we had... Uh, Gathered this data and taken into, into account like the amount of damage done. Obviously, we're under a time constraint when we're gathering the data, and you oh, can't, you're right, you can't yeah. list out a million data points. But it would have been nice to be able to filter out like the how ur- much damage early, like the early the game first doesn't mean anything. Yeah, yeah. Attacks like you know, yeah, swinging with your just because you happen to have a to cmc commander and you're just like well it's a potter. i'm just gonna swing
2: i've seen the attacks where it's like we can both block and they'll bounce off and i get an effect off it yeah so give me that you know for political gain
1: so it would have been nice to just be able to filter it by damage done we didn't we weren't able to do that so who knows um and also it would have been nice to count the number of
2: attackers i think just to kind of see how many of these attacks are like meaningful it'd be interesting to know right if the deck averaged five attacks a game it was a swarm token swarm deck. So it always could attack. Yeah. Or it was a Voltron or it was a Grevin deck, right? It had the ways to get about it. It would be interesting to see because the number of creatures does matter.
1: Yeah, and it would be interesting to see also like, oh, three of those attacks were f- for, you know, less than three damage, but the last two, the last attack was for 90. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, who knows? Crater Hoof. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, obviously, there's limitations to the data, but I think we both can agree that, or at least I, my takeaway from this is that if you build your deck to be focused on combat it's it's going to be able to do that more often than i would have thought
2: yeah and maybe this just means that combat is being a bit undervalued overall maybe that's that's how i kind of feel like that
1: all right so what does this mean if we have this info how can it affect our deck
2: building um and like good blockers might go a long way yeah i we've seen death touch just hold back entire armies before and i think it's tough sometimes right like There are situations where, let's say, I'm the only attacker, and I have three opponents. Two of them are really good blockers, but I can get around them if I want. I'll just lose something in the process. One person's wide open. Wide open person every time. Wide open every time, and then you're going to keep focusing on them. So having just a little bit of a stopgap between you and an attacking player might make a bigger difference now. Yeah, if there's going to be one player in a pod that's kind of going to be the combat player and
1: attack more than the average... Right, because if you think, if everybody averages out to 2.86 attacks per game, if Mm -hmm. one person is taking that large of a slice of it, one player is taking more than five of the attacks, everybody else is actually attacking a little bit less than that 2.86, right? Because that's the way averages work. And so, if you can make sure that that player is not attacking you, that actually becomes an advantage for you. Right. Yeah, so thwarting an early attack or making sure they're deflected early might be a really important thing for decks to be doing. Yeah, get their sights on someone else and Mm -hmm. don't give them a reason to keep coming after you. Um, All right, so we know this info, how should this affect our in-game decision-making? And and I think that what we just said could apply to in-game decisions too, is giving your deck tools to deflect and thwart the combat player, but also playing in such a way. Maybe playing a a creature out that you wouldn't normally play as early just to have it as a blocker that thwarts an attack. Like, I'll do this against Craig all the time. It's like, I have gutter snipe in my hand. I'd like to hold it. And Use cast them, a bunch yeah. of ancient sorceries to kill people later. But I'll also like Craig to just not attack me and hit somebody else with his infect because once he's got infect on somebody, he almost has to go after them. Right. So I'll cast my gutter snipe and
2: be like, hey, whatever, I'll block with it. Yeah, you know, you know I'm going to block with it because yeah. I don't know what you have in your hand. Craig's like, every single creature attacking is so valuable, I can't risk it. And he'll do what you said. I'll right. just attack the freebie then. Yeah. Yeah, I think you know, there's an interesting point here you wrote about the stat line. And I was thinking about this too in that maybe we are undervaluing creatures that have power of three or four mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they are good traders and a lot of times the creatures that are attacking might be an x4 or an x3 and especially if it's not like a random token or there's some value generated on it or it's a commander you don't want to risk that because they know they have good blockers if you have a bunch of one ones or just even a couple of small guys it might be easier for them to attack and be like yeah sure chump but in this case if it's a like, yeah sure trade different story yeah i'm definitely
1: not going to do it this actually made me rethink something we've sort of touted on this show before and I think it was with DJ so I won't mm-hmm. I won't hold you accountable for this Jimmy but <laughs> I, we definitely talked about the card Eternal Witness as a card that we thought was overrated and I often will play like Regrowth instead of Eternal Witness because I feel like th- that one mana it's cheaper. Yeah. I don't need that 2-1 body if I don't have a way to blink it or recur it from my graveyard right. then I'd rather just have the spell that does the thing without the extra mana mm-hmm. but the 2-1 body might actually just be worth more than I'm giving it credit for even as just a blocker because if attacks are going to happen more often than I think, and specifically if you want to be able to thwart, you know, the combat player and deflect them, then maybe that explains one of the reasons why Eternal Witness is so high on that popularity list. Maybe that same goes for reclamation stage too, then. Maybe same, even same Birds idea. of Paradise, which I've said is
2: Dude, the best flying blocker of all time. Yeah, Birds of Paradise. Maybe yeah. it's
1: better than I thought. I've said it's over I thought it was overrated in the past, but maybe maybe not. Maybe because the I'm underrating the blocking aspect of it. Right.
2: I would love to hear the audience uh, chime in on this one, especially because i think there are so many types of magic players some people will hold combat and attacking to a much higher standard and some people will undervalue it, like what we do and some people might completely discount it i, so, I definitely have been undervaluing it oh yeah, yeah me too i mean based on just this discussion i'm like uh, i need to play some more one one death touchers <laughs> where's my ophiomancer the greatest card yeah, ever now yeah. all right let's talk about we're gonna go to the last uh point
1: of discussion and this is board wipe frequency so we just thought well i don't know that we've sp- spoken about this on the show um, specifically, but we thought while we were in there, this is a data point where we could gather and it would be interesting. Yeah, it's great. So we were asking how often are board wipes occurring during games on average? Uh, I wanted to note, even if the board wipe destroys only one permanent type, or even if it's somewhat limited, like damage-based or something that only hits, you know, creatures 4 CMC or more or something, we still classified it as a board wipe. So, for example, Vandal Blast, if somebody casts that overloaded, we would still say it's a board wipe. Right. Retribution of the Meek, we still count it as a board wipe. Yeah. All right. If you're
2: counting it as a board wipe in your deck building, I think it counts as one here. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, on average, what do you think the average? Well, you've looked at it. I've now. seen okay. it now. Yeah.
1: I'm going to ask that, the audience real quick. On average, how many board wipes do you think are cast per game by the entire table? <laughs> what is 1.32, Alex?
2: wow i would have thought more yeah i would have too i feel like 10 board wipes get cast again <laughs> but maybe when someone just removes a single creature of mine i'm just like it's all over <laughs> uh it may as well be a board wipe um you know i think i think this is much lower than i expected because especially with the note being like oh we're including vandal blast well mm-hmm. then we're definitely we're being liberal in how we're classifying it
1: yeah in which case you would think there would be more yeah 1.32 so there's less than two board wipes significantly less than two board wipes cast in your average game interesting I definitely would have thought it would be more. Um, Let's talk about some outliers. Okay. There was one game, only one, where four board wipes were cast in the entire study. Again, about 50 games. Yep. In 23% of all the games, zero board wipes of any kind were cast.
2: Now, I'd be interested to know what the average turn uh, amount of those games are, because uh, I'd reckon it'd be a little lower. You'd think it'd be faster, but I don't know. Yeah. I'm just actually just so surprised that so many few Boar Wipes are cast. But then again, let's say people are going by our standard of deck building, which is like we recommend around five mass removal spells in your deck. The chance of you drawing one, not that high then, right? Yeah, Unless I guess you're so. Especially there's only 10 turns in the game, we think. So, yeah.
1: you know, so that you, could potentially contribute to that as well. Yeah, I don't I'm not sure how to square this with other things we think or know about the format but it is just interesting that I think I've been more scared of board wipes when building and playing than
2: the data actually says I should be. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Also, I'd be wondering, right, if people are tutoring for stuff, how often are they tutoring for an answer to the board? How often are they tutoring for something to benefit their own board, right? Like, and that that might affect it a little bit too. I do think that the fear of board wipes might be what's driving this down. If you don't want board wipes in the game, you're not going to play them as much either. Maybe. Because you know it does set you back sometimes, and even though you might get insane value... It might, it might need you to cast your commander again, and that's just actually not acceptable at this yeah. point
1: in the game. <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, okay, so what does this mean? We have the info. Uh, how does it affect deck building? One thing I thought of was we like cards that avoid board wipes, like Heroic Intervention, Teferi's Protection. And I think right. those cards are still good, but I think you have to be careful. You don't want a lot of them, because if there's not going to be a lot of board wipes played in a game, you don't need Boros Charm and Heroic Intervention and Teferi's Protection in your hand. Right. Boros Charm obviously a little better because it will do multiple things, but you
2: just don't need a lot of uh, redundancy for that effect yeah you don't need direct answers to board wipes heroic intervention is nice because it can report it can stop pinpoint removal to phrase protection is nice because it can stop you from being swung out by by a thousand right. creatures right so there's those aspects to it so i think when you're evaluating those cards don't put cards in your deck as anti board wipe mm-hmm. and also if you're playing like a counterspell deck maybe you shouldn't just be holding it for a board wipe maybe you should be holding it and using it on something that's actually more threatening because the board wipes may not be as common as you think so how should
1: this info affect our in-game decision-making? Uh, I think, obviously, you can probably be less afraid of committing to the board. Right. Especially after the first board wipe, because you know there's unlikely to be more than one in a game, and but there is likely to be one. Yeah. And I think, you know, thinking back to Game Night's games, this is a, a thing that often happens, which is a person takes command of the early game, mm-hmm. and they get off to an early lead, and then a board wipe happens... And then the person who recovers the fastest from that first board wipe is often victorious in the game. Tends to steamroll over everyone else. Because there's not a second big answer that's coming. So when they get their commanding lead, the resources have already been used to stop the
2: first person, and there's not enough left to stop the second. Right. It's the kingmaker thing, the king of the hill Mm -hmm. thing we always see, which is you spend so much effort dragging the first person down, someone else is just climbing up the back. And you didn't realize it, but the board wipe didn't stop their mana rocks from going away, and they're able to recover really quickly. I yeah. mean, that was how Wes, one of our old friends, built his deck. So it was a five-color, just, like, bunch of good stuff. And the end game was play two Eldrazi and then destroy everyone's lands. Yeah, then play Armageddon. Yeah, like, how, what are you <laughs> going to do? Yeah, he got it. <laughs> it also might mean that casting a board wipe is not the
1: best. It might be kind of bad because you're the last one to recover from right. it. Like, if you go austere command yeah, blow every six up. Mana, yeah. Right. and then what can you do that turn you can't do much else so you pass and jimmy goes play a bunch of stuff play recover stuff. you know mel goes play a bunch of stuff ashlyn goes play a bunch of stuff and it comes back to you and you're like crap i, I just re- reset the turn order yeah yeah I, that's all i really did and so and also we know the game is not going to go long enough It's, you know, because you just cast Austere Command, so it's probably turn seven, eight, right? Yeah. You only got two turns left in the game, so your ability to recover now, so it just might actually not be correct to play a lot of board wipes because by the time you use one to solve your problem, you actually can't... It doesn't solve your problem. It just makes somebody else
2: win. Maybe instead of putting board wipes in your deck that are just there to solve, like to just protection or just in case... Your board wipe should be strategically positioned with the strategy of your deck. Yeah, it's Retribution of the Meek. It's trying to be one-sided. Yeah, it's It's, trying to be that. Yeah. Or you know you're really weak to artifacts, so you have to put a Vandal Blast in there. And you don't play a lot of artifacts,
1: maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think it also shows why Instant Speed and Cyclonic Rift are so, so good. Because think of Cyclonic Rift in the same... A austere command example. You don't cast it on your turn. You cast on the end step before your turn and now you're the first one to redeploy stuff. Yep. Actually Cyclanic, you don't even have to redeploy. You're still out there. But like even if you were behind in that game, everybody else has no stuff on board and you're still advancing your board. And, and you may have had a turn cycle where someone used an instant to remove something or yeah. played a
2: sorcery that they can't get back.
1: Yeah. And so you catapult into the lead now. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting stuff. And um, then you get ganged up on. And <laughs> Yeah, so it's maybe inevitable. it all balances out yeah. right in the end. <laughs> all right, that's it for this mini stats episode. This uh, hopefully clearing up some myths and misconceptions. Definitely,
2: definitely... It like shook us to our core, Josh. Yeah, definitely. Like, <laughs> I
1: learned some stuff here I think is interesting. and And I think we'll be referring to this quite often as we continue this type of discussion. Because we talk about combat, how many times Mm -hmm. you cost your commander, how long games are all the time and it's nice to have a better barometer than just like what we think again, small sample size uh, but it's better than just, like, nothing. It's better than
2: right? nothing, yeah. yeah. There's some information here. I think this is also definitely going to help us with card evaluation Yeah, commanders, right? If it's a 7-CMC commander, it's like, you got to build your deck with a bunch of ramp and be able to protect this thing or just not worry if it gets removed. Otherwise, ugh. Yeah, it better be awesome. Better be awesome. Okay. Uh, we're or just a n- two-mana kinder, <laughs> Kieran, whatever his name is. Kinnin. Kinnin.
1: Kinnin, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> one quick thing I want to note is we're not going to release the data for this episode quite yet because we're going to fold that into the data... The for, follow-up For stats. a follow-up to our big stats episodes from a couple years ago, we're in the process of sort of getting that under control because it's a really big project. But mm-hmm. we want to go really deep, get a big sample size. I'm hoping to get up to something like a 1,000 games worth of data so we can really, like, you know... So the sample size thing is not a caveat that we have to mention. Uh, So we're not going to release the data yet. We'll release it when we release all that data at the end of this thing, which is probably months away, but eventually you'll be able to get hold of it. And and on that note, if you enjoyed this video and this type of discussion, you should check out our episodes number 238 and 239, which are our two stats episode, which are very very similar
2: to this one as far as taking data and really crunching it down. And this is something that we've talked about for a long time, but this is one of the hardest things to gather data for. We don't know... 90 i would say a huge percentage of commander magic players we don't even know what they're playing how they're playing it why they're playing it the way they do we're very much on the more dedicated side of the game so that's the lens that we have to look at this through so it's just something to keep in mind
1: all right to the listeners How can we continue this type of
2: discussion, and what questions should we ask, or what data points should we gather? Yeah, are there any, like, blind spots here that we're missing? Like, yeah, you said all that stuff, but did you think about this?
1: Yeah, and we're always sitting around going, well, what else could we ask when watching the game as a data point that we could keep track of, and what question would that answer? So, if you have a good one, please put it in the comments, tweet at us, email us, you know how to get at us. (laughs) All right, and make sure that you go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone when you're oh. ordering all your Magic products, singles, you know, M21 is right around the corner. Ikoria is still available. Double Masters coming out t- soon. Commander Legends later in the year. Yeah, C20 oh. product. They were sold out for a while. They have it back in stock. So if you want that, haven't gotten a hold of it or want more of it, jump on it. Yep, definitely jump on it for cardkingdom.com slash command zone. They are the best place to go. They're back up and running. They're going to have your stuff too
2: you as fast as possible. Like Jimmy said, they take it super, super seriously. but they're like majorly understaffed and they're still working their butts off i placed an order yesterday and got a shipping confirmation today so i believe things are speeding up so yeah yeah, they're they're back i don't I
1: don't know if it's full full operations but it. I ordered some cards too for my Obash deck so <laughs> and I got the
2: confirmation and they're coming very quickly so nice that's great uh, and of course Ultra Pro big sponsor of the show I want to see your cool Ultra Pro setups we've been talking about it for so long but we've never actually seen what y'all are rocking out there you see the playmats that we have every day there's a reason that we trust them there's a reason that for five plus years now we've been using some of the same playmats to dress our sets put on our desk because the product lasts and it's great at protecting your stuff as well as putting your nice shiny awesome some cards into eclipse sleeves yeah
1: that's the that's the thing i love about eclipse sleeves is like once i got a deck in that it's
2: good for years it's good for years yeah, yeah i've like replaced a, a single eclipse sleeve deck yet and i've been playing them for three years now i think yeah since ever since, since eclipse sleeves yeah. hit the market yeah pretty pretty crazy how good
1: quality their stuff is all right now it's time for the end step where we talk about something cool
2: outside the world of magic i got one oh sweet thanks so uh you know obviously there's a lot going on in the world right now 2020 could not be uh, it, i don't think nostradamus could have even predicted any amount of accuracy what's happening this year and so we turned to media and so i've been watching a lot of netflix josh and i've talked about a lot of shows here and one show that i just checked out it's very binge worthy seven episodes uh adult content warning though it is a bit more uh, lewd and i guess there's nudity and all sorts of stuff but it's ryan murphy the guy that made glee made a show called hollywood and i've never heard of it you saw Watchmen, right? Oh, yeah. And Loved so it. Watchmen was like, here's we're going to present an alternate version of history. And this is the consequences of afterwards. Hollywood is set back in the sort of like right after the the silent film movie era ended. And it takes place with a fictional studio called Ace Studios. And it's basically an alternate history of how a bunch of people that are minorities or in the LGBTQ community are able to create a project out of just sheer circumstance and like make this amazing film so it's almost like an alternate rewriting of like what if hollywood did did make movies like this back then and it's very signature glee it's like got lots of soapy elements to it all the characters are like the most beautiful actors (laughs) you've ever seen in your life but for me it was like very interesting because afterwards i watched it and i went wow, I can't believe Anime Wong finally won an Oscar. Like, I literally, <laughs> yeah, yeah. part of me was like, "They, that's great. Like, we didn't have to change history, but we were given a, an ability to see a different version that I think was, like, like really, really interesting. Yeah, and, and for someone that's interested in movies as well, it has a lot of that sort of process of breaking it down. It's all very fantastical in the same way that Glee was, and it does have similar, like, high school lunchroom drama settings but it's a very fun watch uh if you were a fan of glee i think you would appreciate this what's what uh, streaming service is it on it's on netflix called hollywood uh and again new uh, nudity adult content warning definitely don't (laughs) watch this one around the kids and i'd say you'd have to be interested in a few things before you're like able to sit down and really sit through it and i think i outlined it there sounds cool I haven't even heard of it, so I will check
1: it out. Yeah. I'm, yeah, we're just always looking for things to watch because we're at home so much right now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Big thanks to our editing, graphics, and logistics team, which is Ashlyn Rose, Craig Blanchett, Lady
2: Danger, Manson Lung, Josh Murphy, Jake Boss, Alfred Estaca, and Sam Waldo. Woohoo. And of course, big thanks, Jeffrey Palmer. As always, Living Card Animations behind us here on set, and they start and enter a show at youtube.com slash the Command Zone Podcast. Say hi to Jeffrey on Twitter at Living Cards MTG. All right, everybody. Thanks for watching. And we'll see you next time. Peace.
0: Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JFWong and at Josh Lee Quai. See you later, alligator. which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air?
3: For years and I really like it.